Welcome to Watershed. I'm Austin. It's great to see all your smiling faces this morning. So my question of the day is stand up and greet your neighbors and say how many times you've been to the beach this summer because we're already halfway through summer. No.
Well, like Austin said, good morning. We're so glad to see you today. Welcome to Watershed. As we get into our time of worship, I just have a little psalm, a passage of a psalm for us, just to kind of guide our hearts into a posture of worship. And this comes from Psalm 7, and it says this, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord, the Most High. I'll say that again. I will give thanks, I will give the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. God is worthy of our praises. So the invitation today for all of us is to, to lend your voices, to worship today. We're looking to our God who's done great and mighty things for us. So we'll sing the song together, This We Know, a reminder of God's goodness to us. Your ways 
higher than our home. We trust you. We trust you. Your ways higher than our home. We trust you. We trust you. Your ways higher than our home. We trust you. We trust you. Your ways higher than our own. Yes, we know we will see the end. We run. Yes, we know we will see the victory call. Oh, hold on to every promise you ever made. Jesus, you are unfailing. Jesus, you are unfailing. Jesus, you are unfailing. Stay. 
defense my righteousness oh god how i need you oh my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you you're my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you Christ is risen. 
everybody you can have a seat and we're going to invite our kids come on up pre-k through second grade to come on up for kids ministry all right shall we pray before we head out Dear Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us all here today to learn more about you, and thank you for this church and our families and our friends, and thank you for this beautiful summer weather we've been having. Amen. Just a little glimpse of what summer service week was here uh, just over a week ago. 150 uh, middle school, high school volunteers, other volunteers from other churches, 
volunteers that went into making, you know, I think I said last week, packing over 2,000, like making over 2,000 meals throughout the week. Norlin doing more than he normally does on any given week, and Gary, who are always behind the scenes, sweating it out in the middle of the summer. But uh, a great week. We praise God again and just say thank you uh, for supporting uh, that ministry here through Nate, his leadership, our youth ministry. It's, it's a great week. I want to highlight something else. This, this last week, we had a chance on Wednesday night to hear from the Kerrigs, our missionaries in Ireland. Luke was on staff here for about a year, and he and Kelsey have now been in Ireland in Greystones, where he's from originally for three years. Uh, and we said there's going to be a little bit of an ask to kind of go over and above to kind of help their ministry and what's going on there. Um, already raised over $14,000 um, to help support their ministry. So <laughs> praise God. Um, on behalf of Luke and Kelsey, too, just thank you because I, I mentioned this last week, living in Greystones is like living in San Francisco. So uh, if that gives you any idea of cost of living and the cost of doing ministry, especially in an area where the church, the Protestant church, especially um, in any form of organized religion, is seen more as an enemy than a help to culture. So the work that Luke and Kelsey, uh, their church is trying to do, along with churches in their community, uh, is just a pretty amazing thing. Uh, I want to ask for prayers too this morning. Our team, we've had a few folks join with Friendship CRC and go over to Spain. They've been serving in Spain doing kind of a vacation Bible school, other projects. But they were on their way home until their flight got bumped three times in Philadelphia yesterday. So to go from Spain, get to Philly, flight gets bumped multiple times, finally to then get canceled. And as I've heard already this morning, Kendra kind of filled me in, they've now been bumped yet again just to try to get to home from Philadelphia. So you get a bunch of high schoolers sitting in the middle of an airport. Now, that's terrible for anybody traveling, but uh, after a week of serving, uh, just keep them in your prayers. Aaliyah, who's our worship assistant, has been there. Uh, so yeah, be praying for them that they can make it home smoothly and safely. Uh, other than that, uh, we have an opportunity this morning, Leah Petrulia, who's one of our uh, elders here at Hardawike. We are three communities, Celebration, Fusion, Watershed here, uh, that make up all of Hardawike ministry. She's one of our elders. We love you, Hi. Leah. Um, she's going to give us an update. We've committed to updating you on a regular basis just in terms of ministry and from our leadership. So, Leah, I'm handing it off to you. Thanks. Good morning. I'm Leah Petrulia, and I am your watershed elder. I'm going into my third year, so um, terms are three, and it's been really good serving. We've had a very um, smooth season of serving on council. I'm very grateful for that, and it's been really fun to work alongside Aaron and some of the other members, but we did want to do um, just like a quarterly update, and they've done this across the other campuses last week, and it's just so everyone knows what's been going on at Heart Awake, and it's to keep everyone informed and just celebrate some of the great things that have been happening. Um, so first of all, what's really neat, and those of you who get here regularly probably notice this, is that we have enjoyed a 17% increase in attendance compared with the same period as last year. So I know summer can be a little spotty, but I have just noticed that this room is filled, and that's just really cool. It's not only on our campus, it's across the board. Um, 
170 children participated in Adventure Week. 39 of those children indicated that they have no church affiliation. So if anyone was around that week, my kids did the Vacation Bible School. Becky, she was amazing. It was really fun to see all the kids worshiping together. And that was a lot of kids. So thank you to everyone who served and volunteered. Summer Service Week was really busy as well. As Aaron said, we welcomed over 100 middle school people and their leaders to our campus from Hardwick and six additional churches. I know there's a few middle schoolers in the room that served, so thank you for doing that. Three of our young people left Wednesday and served in Spain and are stuck, per Aaron. Um, so hopefully we'll get them home. Um, and then both the mission trip to Honduras and the Appalachian Trail trip in June went really well. Uh, and we formed many relationships that developed. Another thing that's happening is we have a task force that I'm serving on to determine what to do with our building that used to house little people's place. So we are now referring to that building as the boathouse. And as you can imagine, when we stopped hosting them, we had a flood of questions and opportunities. So we are forming a smaller group of individuals who are trying to determine what's best uh, for, for that boathouse. Uh, for right now, it's getting cleaned out, and um, we are using some of the rooms as a staff. To date this year, we've received 86% of our approved budget in amount. Expenses are running slightly above budget. As our busy summer expenses are higher, our budget is based on receiving an average of $32,000 a week from all three services. Um, let's see here. On average, the contributions are at 28000 so we are running a little bit behind, and we are currently watching our cash flow. To date, we've dropped about 160000 from our starting cash. So this goes back to a commitment we made a few years ago just to be transparent about where we're at with giving and our expenses, and we'll just keep you posted on that. But overall, we just want to say thank you for supporting our ministries. There's so many things that go on across campus during the week and on Sundays, and we're just grateful for the prayers, the time, the support, the volunteers, the financial support that everyone has given. And I want to pray for the service before Aaron starts. Heavenly Father, we come to the altar this morning and we bring all of our needs and all of our prayers and all of our praise before you. And I ask that Aaron is able to clearly speak your word to us and we receive it. Thank you for all the ministries and all the beautiful work you're doing here at Heart Awake. And for everyone who supports what goes on, we ask that you continue to bless us and help us serve others. And be with us today as we go out about our day after listening to a beautiful message. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Leah. Here, you want your sheet? <laughs> I'll keep your sheet. I got your notes. No. <laughs> um, one more thing I forgot to say, uh, Darwin uh, let me know we've been praying too for our celebration community. I've uh, been in the process of interviewing Justin Rito as our choir handbells, um, kind of music director there. That's been in process for the five years that Pastor Bill has been in. Um, and so finding someone in the classical music realm has been a little of, of a challenge. Those those folks, um, I mean, worship leaders, Drew knows this, worship leaders are, good worship leaders are hard to find. But then to find somebody to, in today's day and age who 
really thrive in the classical music realm, it, it seems like it's just an even narrower thing, and we feel like we had fallen into God's good graces in getting to know Justin, um, and uh, lo and behold, uh, after last week, uh, all, all signs were thumbs up, and then uh, they were able to, throughout the week, work out some compensation with him and an agreement, and he is signed off, and he is going to be joining our staff, so uh, I want to praise God for that. Um, incredibly grateful for um, our celebration community, for Bill, and also just what that means for us as a Heart of Light community. Uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. I look forward to just having his family be a part of us. Uh, in the fall, he's also going to be a professor uh, of music, so very accomplished. Um, we're, we're definitely gifted um, and blessed to have him be a part of our staff, so um, as you know, at Heart of Wike, we, uh, throughout our three communities, we, we collaborate in our messages every week. It, it takes on a different shape and focus at times through, here at Watershed versus maybe at Fusion or Celebration, but the three of us are always working together through our series. Uh, occasionally, we've got a one-off or a few-off here um, for our unique uh, communities, but we, we do this so that our whole campus, right, our whole church is is really walking through God's word together. This summer we've been through and in, in diving into a series, Teach Us to Pray, where we've been looking at what Jesus says in regards to prayer. That the Lord's Prayer, uh, you've heard me say this, is more than just uh, a, a mantra we say, right? Jesus didn't just teach us some words so that we recite them and somehow click off and get a gold star to make God happy. No, actually, he's inviting us into a relationship with God, the living God, inviting us into conversation with God on a regular basis, and inviting us into the story of God in our lives, right? We've journeyed through so far, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Where we say God is, is good, and God is great. He's above, beyond what we could ever imagine. And that God is to be glorified in this world. This is the world he created. He deserves the honor and praise. There is no one like him. We've talked about uh, praying and inviting God's kingdom. The way, the, where, where in heaven, his will and his ways are directing all things. We're asking that that breaks in on earth, right, as it is in heaven. We want to see his will, his ways work. Last week we talked about praying, God, today give us our... our our daily bread, right? Give us what we need for today. I said last week, man, you don't have to clean up your prayers when it comes to God. You can bring what you need, what you want. You can throw it all at the good and great God who loves you. Now, don't be surprised if God maybe cleans up some of your prayers, <laughs> cleans up some of our heart along the way, because what we want isn't always what we need. However, God in his grace continues to hear everything we ask and, and in that gives us everything we need for this day. And it's not only a prayer just for us, it's a prayer for others where our mindset is, it, it goes beyond us to others. Today, today we come to the hardest part, I think, of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many of you would say forgiveness is a hard thing? Amen? Sometimes forgiving ourselves, incredibly hard thing. 
I probably am somebody who I can forgive others easier than I can actually forgive myself. I expect a lot more out of myself, um, and especially as a pastor, (laughs) the bar that I hold for myself is higher than anyone could ever hold me to. Forgiving myself, living in God's forgiveness is, man, can be a challenging thing. For others of us, we've been done a great deal of harm, right? We've not just been betrayed, we may have been abused. We may have been neglected, we may have been pushed aside, whatever it is. And then to say, Pastor Aaron, what are you talking about? The scripture tells us what we've got to forgive. Are you crazy? Do you know what happened? Right, let me acknowledge something today. I am not going to speak or be able to speak of every nook and cranny of what forgiveness is. I'm not going to be able to answer every question you may have about forgiveness. But I am going to ask you this. How are you living into forgiveness? How are you letting the forgiveness of God become more a part of your story And how are you letting his forgiveness flow out of you into this world? Dan Hamilton, uh, he he writes and he talks about how forgiveness more often than not is, is like giving someone, paying for something on credit, paying for a gift on credit, giving the person who may not deserve it the gift, and then you deal with the debt for the rest of your life. And all you're doing is constantly making payments on it. Right? So often, that is what forgiveness feels like, doesn't it? Is I'm working at it each and every day, maybe for myself, living into it. God, I need your forgiveness. Forgive me of my debts. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for what I've done, for what I've left undone. God, forgive me. And and each and every day, I might be making payments on that. But man, I keep going. For somebody else, it might be saying, man, you don't deserve forgiveness, right? Somebody may say, hey, where's the justice in that? Hey, look to the cross. You want justice? It was done. That is the gospel. But living into that, it's going to be like paying a debt. It's giving a gift to somebody that they don't deserve, but paying on it the rest of our lives. So often that's what forgiveness feels like. So often that's what forgiveness is in our lives. But my question again for us is, how are we living into it? How are you living into forgiveness? Letting it be your story that works in you and through you in this world. Peter comes up to Jesus, uh, he's this disciple of God. Not only did the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray, um, but, you know, they had questions all along the way, and he, he asks about forgiveness. So Matthew 18, I want to start here, starting in verse 21. Let's hear God's word. And Peter, this disciple of Jesus, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, right? Is there a limit if I could say that. Is there a limit to forgiveness? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will actually say seven times 77. Jesus goes, "Ah, you're talking about kingdom stuff? The kingdom's way versus the world's way is totally different. In the world, forgiveness is limited. In the world, we may cancel you (laughs) after one mistake, But surely if we don't do it after one, by the time it's three, you know, 
Shame on you, shame on me, and it ain't happening again, right? Amen. How many of you have been there? But Jesus says, in the economy of my kingdom, forgiveness is constant. Again, it may be like making that payment over and over again. It's constant. It continues 77 times. Verse 23, therefore, right, this is what a parable is, God's story, an earthly story about that is packed with kingdom of God meaning. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents was brought to him. Let me give you a little math lesson. 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents. One talent, back in their day, equaled 20 years of day's wages. One. 10,000 talents, so let's do some math, equals 20 years, so not 20 years, 200,000 years of day's wages. 10,000 talents 200,000 years of day's wages. So, if the average life, like work span, this may be depressing for you, is 45 years. And that's because some people go 40 and some people go 50. Now, for you who don't go any, anywhere near that, praise God for you <laughs> and thank God for the abundance. If you go over 50, God bless you and we'll pray for strength. <laughs> But if we go at 45 years, that would mean 4,444, repeating four, lifetimes of debt. And isn't that going to feel like a repeating four? 4,444 lifetimes of debt is what this servant owed. Almost incalculable. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay. Uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. <laughs> yeah, right. But he's got to try. We've got to try, right? I'll pay back energy. This is the economy. But the servant's master took pity on him, had compassion. The word means his guts literally moved, right? He felt for him. The master took pity on him, canceled the debt. And we know that didn't mean nothing, right? That means the master assumed the debt. In canceling the debt, he took on the 4,440 lifetimes of debt at his expense, canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, hundred denarii, it's about a third of a year's wage. And when he grabbed, he grabbed him, and he, in his newness of life, found the dude who owed him something. Grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Hey, this is interesting. Kind of repeat occurrence. <laughs> fellow servant fell on his knees, begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. See, he could actually probably pay this back. But 
He refused. First servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, right, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Right? I had compassion on you. I assumed, man, I stopped, I stopped the bargaining, I stopped the debt collecting, I assumed all your negligence, all your missteps, all your mistakes, it's all on me. And now what? Shouldn't you have had mercy? Here's a guy who had a third of a year's wage. You, I can't even count how deep yours goes. This dude only had a third of a year. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had had on you. So in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Why is Jesus so serious about this? This week, I was studying um, Robert Capon, and he's a writer, a theologian, and man, he, he's like as close as you could get to going, hey, everybody's going into heaven no matter what, because God's grace is so far and above and beyond we could ever imagine. I'm like, yeah, amen, amen. But he's like, he gets to this one, and he gets to the end here, and he's like, yeah, sorry. Heaven and earth are going to be, or heaven and hell are going to be filled with forgiven sinners. It's just some are going to realize it and let it work on them and work through them, and some don't. Even somebody who's, who, to me, believes like the extent of God's grace still looks at this and goes, oh, man, holy cow. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to pray. Forgive us, right? We get on our knees and beg, Lord, forgive me. The debt I owe is insane. It's beyond what I could ever imagine, right? Why do we need forgiveness? Because our world, our lives are filled with sin, whether we like it or not, right? There's one universal truth that exists in this world, and that sin exists, amen? You don't have to be blind. You don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to under, like, have this deep theological grounding to understand that sin, brokenness exists, and it is in every one of us. The words for sin, there are six words up here. You don't have to understand it all. But a couple weeks ago, we watched from the Bible Project a video on heaven and hell. This comes from a three-part series they do on words for sin. They got six words up here uh, for us to describe what sin is. Because sometimes people say, why do you Christians always get hung up on sin? Because at the heart of the gospel, we are sinners saved by grace. That is the message of Christianity. That is the gospel. That is why Jesus is so serious about forgiveness. Our debt was canceled so we could have life. Now, do we go and live that way, or do we still work in the economy of our empire? Do we live in the kingdom or the empire? Sin, what does it mean? Well, the first kind of set of words, kata and hamartia, right? That's Hebrew and Greek. It basically says, with sin, we are not what we were meant to be. 
You and I were created in the imago Dei, the image of God. We were created to represent God. But in us, sin in us, we fail each and every day to represent God well. How many of you looking in the mirror today could say, I fail to represent God well? How many of you fail to love your neighbor as yourself? Done. (laughs) None of us are left with an excuse. It just is. We look at the next word, transgressions, pasha, paratoma. And this means that we are not just not living what we were intended to be, we are untrustworthy. Even though we might try to be trustworthy, we still betray people. We still manipulate things, right? We, we still rebel. That's one of the words for, for what transgressions means. We still speak falsehoods and lies, right? It's there. It's in us. Last kind of word that summarizes it is iniquity, which is avon and anomia. This means that we twist, we distort. How many of you ever twist the truth? Just a little bit. Right? How many of you ever, again, I used the word before, manipulate, but like, I'm just going to maneuver things to work for me to get what I want, no matter what it costs. Anybody? We talk about sin because our life, whether we like it or not, is infected by it. And more often than not, controlled by it. Brothers and sisters, we need a Savior. Because God's parameter, God's God's starting point for us is perfection. He goes, nothing less than perfection. Be perfect, Jesus actually says in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as I am perfect. (laughs) Here is the standard, be perfect. Paul will later say, hey, if you want to live by the law and the rules, then you better be perfect by them. Otherwise, live by grace. (laughs) Thankfully, God gives us another option for the story. And he gives us another option Because as we saw in the parable, God operates in a different way. God chooses to put to death his debt-taking privilege and right. The master chooses to put to death the economy and ways of the world that seem right to say, I'm going to operate in a different way. He chooses to assume our lifetimes. Like literally, if Jesus died for the world, we're talking more than 4,444 lifetimes of debt. Amen? Right? We don't even scratch the surface of what we actually owe a perfect God. Like, sorry, Taylor Swift. When you're singing singing Karma is your boyfriend, I I just don't think you want to be singing Karma is your boyfriend. Because karma works against your enemies and works against you. Like, I, sorry, it just logs up. Wait, oh, I'm sorry, she's going to have to shake it off, but we'll leave it there. Because <laughs> God's economy is one of forgiveness, but to be forgiven required a death. Paul says this in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, right? The servant was absolutely and abundantly powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. None of us get away from that. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You know that Jesus says in Luke 18, there is no one good? Paul's using a rhetorical move here, like, yeah, but for a good person, oh, by the way, there's no one righteous, not one. He says that in Romans, Romans 3. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his flood, blood, that means our debts have been assumed by God and relieved from us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's what we deserve. We, get to, we deserve to be thrown in jail. But we're not. For if, while we were God's enemies, I mean, you hear in the language, sin puts us at complete and utter odds with God. We can't make up for what was lost. We are in desperate need for what only he can give us. And he does. That's the gospel. Forgiveness. We were reconciled. We were made right to him through the death of his son. This cost a death. To be forgiven cost God something. And that wasn't just a little thing. It was a complete and utter death. But how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul says in Romans 6 that we didn't just die with Christ, we've been resurrected with him. We're saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. One of the things we talk about at Watershed, you see on the, on the screen every week, is freedom. Core to who we are as a community of Jesus' followers is we believe there is freedom in the finished work of Jesus Christ. As long as I'm pastor here, I am going to promote that, I'm going to push that, I'm going to speak that. I believe it is my job to equip you in that truth. Not equip you in how to vote politically, not equip you how to, how, how to live and act in every move. No, I'm going to keep sending you back to the gospel because if you know the gospel, then it will inform and impact how you move and live in the decisions and in the discernments and things like that. I'm going to keep relentlessly coming back to the freedom found in the finished work of Jesus because we all need it. Jesus says at the heart of his prayer, we got to keep asking for God's forgiveness we got to keep humbling ourselves. we got to keep understanding to be poor in spirit. God, I need you. We just sang that earlier. Lord, I need you. But we get to come to the altar where God's, our Father's arms are open wide. It costs everything to God. But you are worth it. You're worth it. I want you to believe it. I want you to know it. There's nothing else in this life that can bring greater freedom and life to you than to know the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ. You see, then when we know that, it has the potential to change us. Unfortunately, it didn't change the life of the servant. Because to offer forgiveness also requires a death in us doesn't it? It means we've actually got to be willing to take those dreams that have been crushed 
and actually let him die. There's got to be a part of us in the betrayal that we got to go, you know, I, I, I can't keep feeding that. It's feeding lifelessness in me. I've got to allow that to actually be put to death. I've got to put to death my desire or even my God-given right for retribution. What I feel like may be retaliation. See, the first servant couldn't do that. He couldn't change the economy. He, while God's economy, the kingdom economy, gave him freedom, he couldn't leave the world, the empire, his own economy, to step into that place. See, Jesus will say in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The way of Jesus is allowing the death that has been given to us to, for, for us to actually join in that and go, God, I, I need my daily bread. How many of you would, in order to offer forgiveness, needs God's help? Amen? Part of Christian forgiveness at its core is the need for divine help to do what only God could do and I'm really limited to. Like, let's all acknowledge we're limited in our capacities to forgive. Why? Because sin reigns in us. But we need help. We need the one who has not only died for us, but raises us to life, if we heard, to bring us to life in order to have the power to offer in our own death something we, we may not even be able to believe we can give. It means I may have to let my past die. Lay to rest. So not something new to come. But see, that's the gospel. The gospel is the fact that only through death, only through death can we experience resurrection. Right? The resurrection doesn't happen before the cross, does it? Only happens after. But the good news is if we walk the way of Jesus, if we trust in him, not only to, to be forgiven, but to offer forgiveness, we can actually find new life. Galatians, Paul writes this, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? How are we going to be able to forgive ourselves and forgive others? But by the one who lives and dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, his power, his presence, his peace that reigns within us. But the life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I'm forgiven, I'm going to give that grace. The master is just blown away when so much debt could be re re just relieved, be taken off his plate, and that couldn't change your heart. When we pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's to keep us reminded, Lord, man, we have been given so much. And help that flow out of me. And some people go, you know, why do you got to keep confessing if Jesus already knows all of it and he's already died for all of it? Well, God doesn't need us to, okay? Finished work, it's done. However, he does want to know that we know what we've done, amen? How many of you ever been in that position? It's kind of helpful to know that somebody 
didn't, you know, when, when they didn't do what they were supposed to do, when they did something that they shouldn't have done, you know, like, it's always good as a parent. Remember, we're always coming before this good God, a Father in heaven who loves us and is gracious to us, right? And he's going, hey, listen, I just want to know that you know. That's why we confess. We confess in the freedom of God's grace, but we confess nonetheless because like David, we say, God, search my heart and know my way. Know if there's, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Paul would later say in Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. In this case, it would be don't let unforgiveness reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourselves any part of yourselves to sin is an instrument of wickedness, right? To justify, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Right? Christian forgiveness also means that it's an act of our will. It's an act of obedience. It's saying, I'm not going to operate from the way the world operates. God, I'm going to operate through your kingdom because that's the only way a resurrection is possible. That's the only way new life can come from my screw-ups. It's the only way that there can be a new creation out of what someone has destroyed in my life. It cost you everything. Your justice was done. Every wrong done to me hung on the cross. Believe that, brothers and sisters. Every hurt that you have received, no, no matter how terrible it is, and believe me, I can believe how terrible it can be, but it hung on the cross with Jesus. His love brought justice upon that evil. And his love also set us free. Put it this way. Today when we pray, right, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We try to understand what it means to be forgiven by God. And then out of being forgiven, we can start to forgive, right? There can be forgiveness. But at the same time, sometimes we actually got to put our will into action. We got to obey, even though I don't want to obey. How many of you don't necessarily want to obey sometimes when it comes to forgiving others? But if Jesus says, hey, this is what I've done for you, whether you get that part or not, hey, you best live that way in the world. That's my gospel, man. I, give it grace. When we do, sometimes it actually helps us understand what it means to be forgiven. Sometimes when we start to understand why and how that wrong could have happened, or even that it's senseless, I might actually understand that the stupid things I do is kind of senseless. Right? Because sin doesn't make sense. It isn't the way it's supposed to be. That is part of our story. And yet... The period on our story is this. That Christ, while we were still enemies of God, 
deserving of wrath, deserving of punishment. Christ died for the ungodly so that we could live through him, that his life could live in us, and that life could flow out of us into the world. It's said that when we don't live in forgiveness for ourselves or others, it's like drinking poison. Amen? With ourselves, if I drink the poison, keep drinking the poison, I'm going to kill myself. It's just the way it is. It may not be physically, but it may be on the inside. Right? We go to a doctor and we pour out all, we, how many of you fill out like the, do you have this, 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 right? <laughs> but we tell the doctor everything so that hopefully we can be healed fully, right? Hopefully we can be healed finally. We talk to God so that we can stop drinking the poison. Maybe he can just relieve us of that. But we also trust God. We pray this prayer so we can stop drinking the poison expecting the other person to die. Because they're not gonna. You are. And this with uh, it's a little longer video, so I hope you don't mind hanging out a little bit here, but Matthew West, Christian artist, um, about 12 years ago, wrote a song, Forgiveness. Uh, we're going to listen to the song, but we're also going to see the story that was real behind it. Let me make sure you know this. This, this isn't when we hear this story, because I think my brain does this, so if you're like me, great. If you're not, bear with me. But my brain fills it in and just thinks like forgiveness was automatic and it just took place. No, don't, no, no. <laughs> This was paying on that debt. This was something that happened over time. Just like it happens over time for us. So I want to invite you to, uh, to watch this, listen in. This one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It's about a woman who did the impossible and it made me ask myself, if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. Megan is um, a very joyful child and had a heart of gold, beautiful, loved people loved her family, um, just a joy of my life. And um, when she was 20 years old, on May 11th, 2002, uh, my sister-in-law came to the door to tell me that um, Megan had been in a car accident and she didn't make it. You know, my heart was so broken and I looked at her and said, no, you're kidding. And, you know, still looking for her to tell me that, that she's, this is not really true, that Megan wasn't coming back home. Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. After Renee lost her daughter, she said she found herself in the darkest place she'd ever been. This guy Eric was behind bars, but she said she felt like the prisoner. Why? Because she had all this bitterness and hatred built up towards that young man. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. 
the ripple effects of that act of forgiveness are still being felt today. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there, though. Renee went to the courts along with her family, and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. He told me that day, the, the day of the hearing, that it didn't matter at this point. He said, you know, if, if the judge does not grant this for me, I want you to know that I am so grateful that you are willing to do this. And um, he said, and I will be okay. He said, I'll, I'll be fine. But I'm just, I, he was blown away by the fact that we were willing to go before the judge and, and you know, plead for him to not have to be there for 22 years. It's the hardest thing to give away, the last thing on your mind today. And it always goes to those who don't deserve It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real Takes everything you have to say the word Forgiveness I was more than angry at Eric. I had so much rage inside of me, and yet the moment that I was able to look Eric in his eyes and tell him that I forgive him, you know, that was a moment that healing began for both of us. It's always anger's own worst enemy. And even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free. Forgiveness. A judge and a jury telling you that it's okay to hold a grudge. You know, that's what the world says. It's okay for you to feel that way, which it is. But yet, those feelings, they're inside of you eating away at you, and, and you don't want to live your life that way. Forgiveness. Show me how to love the unlovable. Show me how to reach the unreachable. people who are not going to ever have someone say to them, I'm sorry for what I did, or I take responsibility for what I did, and you still have to forgive if you want to heal. It can even set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. Forgiveness. You're not letting go of what happened. You know, it is wrong. It, it should never have happened. It is not okay. It doesn't mean that you're canceling any of that out. But once you are able to say those words and truly mean it, you know, um, then you do find that you're setting a prisoner free and the prisoner truly is you. Show me how to love the unloved. 
I was immediately inspired by Renee's story when I read it, but it took me a while to write her song. I kept her story in my guitar case for about two years, and I realized the reason why it was so difficult to write this song, Forgiveness, is because it's kind of hard to live that out. That's why the words of the chorus are sung in the form of a prayer. God, show me how. Help me to do the impossible. This story of forgiveness really makes me think that there's some pretty life-defining questions that all revolve around that one word, forgiveness. Questions like, is there somebody that I need to forgive, that I've been holding on to a grudge and it's weighing me down, every step's getting heavier and I just need to set it free? Another question is, is there someone that I need to go and uh, ask for forgiveness from? To say, I'm humbling myself, I'm sorry, no excuses, can we start over? Another forgiveness question, one that Eric has had to deal with in prison is, can I ever forgive myself? What if loving the unlovable means having to learn how to love that person you see when you look in the mirror? Sometimes that's not an easy task, which really leads to the most significant forgiveness question of all, and it's this. Have I ever let it really sink in? The message of God's forgiveness, what He's done for me through His Son Jesus dying on a cross for my sins. Renee stood before that judge, along with all of her family members, taking turns, speaking on behalf of a guilty criminal and seeking mercy for him. I'm reminded that somebody has done that for me, somebody has done that for you, and his name is Jesus. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do that? So that our stories could discover the healing the victory, the redemption, the power, the freedom of one word, forgiveness. How are you going to live in forgiveness? One of the, again, words of sin is to be bent over. Not only that we're crooked, but we're bent over because of the weight of sin upon us. We want to keep making deposits in that backpack that we're carrying? Or do we want to make deposits with the one who went to the cross, who was raised to life so that in him we can have life? That's the gospel. You are free in Christ. And you are able to give that freedom in Jesus Christ. Is that where we're going to put our money? Is that where we're going to put ourselves? In him or in ourselves? Let's pray. God, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, I just want to pause. While we were still sinners, you died for us. May that message of freedom wash over us. May your grace flood our spirit. May it even reach the recesses of the places we don't even know how to put into words what it is or the hurts that we can't even explain. Lord, by your spirit, may we have freedom a freedom that is already won in the cross and in the resurrection of you, Jesus. Forgive us our debts. 
our mistakes, our missteps, our lack of forgiveness, our desire for retribution, for retaliation, for the times we've hurt because we've been hurt. Forgive us for the unhealthy ways that we have dealt with the weight on our shoulders. Forgive us, Lord, for even the things we are not aware of yet, whether they are things we will do or we will leave undone. Forgive us. And thank you that even before we pray those words, you have. Now, Lord, help us to forgive. As I said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't, there's a great deal of weight on, that I feel right now of just, Lord, we all have stories. We all have deep, deep wounds and hurts from others. Lord, some of those folks have said they're sorry. And Lord, we've been able to be reconciled for others. There's no possibility to ever hear those words. For we are so far removed from them. Lord, that again, it's, it's a chasm that is too great. Lord, help us to forgive. We may not be reconciled, Lord, here on earth, but you will reconcile all things when your kingdom comes fully and finally, when things are restored. Help us to trust that as we die to ourselves, the truth of your scriptures are real for us, that we are also raised to new life. Lord, help us today to take another step forward in offering that forgiveness. And again, Lord, bring your resurrection power in us. For our sin is dead and gone. And Lord, we sing hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. We thank you, oh, our good and great Father in heaven. Again, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. We've got one more song for our morning. We invite you to stand together. We're going to sing this out. It's just a reminder of the hope that we have that Jesus has forgiven us greatly. So as we sing this, just try to tuck it into your heart to remember it this week that you're forgiven by Christ. We'll sing this out.
Sin is dead and gone. We are the only faith, we are the only people on the face of this world that actually can look at the junk of life and say, you don't hold me anymore. We don't have to hide from it. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to let it define us any longer, whether we did it or someone else did it. We are the only free people because of Jesus Christ. And for God so loved the world, that's our message, that everybody else can be free too. They already are. It's dead and gone. There is freedom in the finished work of Jesus. Go in that truth. Let that truth pervade your soul. Let it be your story today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you, and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen. amen. Go in the peace of Christ. If you don't mind uh, stacking a couple chairs, we'd appreciate that too.